The 17th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew is the text this morning. This is really a two-part sermon. I want to preach the next part of it next Sunday morning under the title, How We Lose Our Power. But in continuity of the, with the lay renewal weekend, this sermon today, a view from the mountaintop or perspective. And you recognize this as the story of the transfiguration, beginning in verse 1. And six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John his brother and brought them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And Jesus answered and said, and Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were very and were much afraid. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. And as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the, do the, do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah already came. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished, so also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. And when they came to the multitude, a man came up to, the, to him, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and is very ill, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. Jesus answered and said, O unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. There are two key verses, two key words in this passage of verses, and they are found in verse 2, and the two words are, Before them. For what was going on on that Mount of Transfiguration was for them, was for these disciples, was for their benefit, was in their behalf. At a crucial time in the life of Jesus, He took these disciples apart to this mountaintop, and there was something that happened there that was for their benefit. It was for them. It was in behalf of them, he was transfigured, and they were given 
perspective. Perspective is the most important and interesting factor in what is seen with a human eye. Perspective is how an object appears to the vision so that one's distance from an object or his position to that object can give him a good perspective or a bad one, can give him a right perspective or a wrong one. There might be some beautiful paintings hanging in the art gallery, and to the serious student of art, the caretaker might say to them, I want you to come over and see this art from this position. You need to see it from this position. For perspective is not only in the eye of the viewer, but in the masterpiece itself. And so the keeper of the art might say, I want you to see this painting from this angle. And so at a crucial point in the life of Jesus, he took these disciples apart to a mountaintop and said, I want you to see what I'm about and who I am. I want you to see who you are and what you're about from this angle. And he was transfigured before them. Now something not unlike that has happened in our church in this past weekend. And what has really happened here in the dynamics of the past few hours in this church has really been God taking us apart to a, to a separate place, to a mountaintop. In fact, I've heard some of you refer to this as a mountaintop experience. And what has really happened is this, that God has said to us, I want you to see who I am and what I'm about, who you are and what you're about from this angle. And what we saw there was several things. First of all, we discovered from perspective, from a mountaintop, that we're all a part of an ongoingness. Have you ever wondered why Moses and Elijah? Well, Moses represents the Old Testament law in Old Testament thought, and Elijah represents the prophets. And there is this connectedness between the then and the now to Jesus. For everything that the law demanded and everything that the prophets commanded was directly connected to Jesus in this ongoingness. And there was this, there was this relationship, this function between one generation and another there. I think we need to recognize that. For no one lives unto himself, and no one dies unto himself. No one is an island unto himself. And our life does not begin at point zero, but we all come into this stream, this river of connectedness that flows from a distant past. And to live one moment is to be involved in the continual interaction between the dead and the living and the yet unborn. And we need that. What I've heard some of you saying in the last few hours is this, that for the first time when we got into these small groups and we were together as a church in a small group, I began to, I began to know people that I'd never known before. And I began to know things about people that I had not known before. And I began to sense that really what I am about and what I have is really just been passed on and is being passed on to me from somebody else. 
And there was this marvelous discovery again of something that we've always known, that we are we're responsible to one another in so many ways, and you have given me so many things. And, and there is this, this connectedness. And I found some of you saying, I sensed a oneness and a, and a unity and, and a fellowship among us that I have never sensed before. And I recognize that I've, I've received so much from so many other people. And we need that. For I think that alienation rather than continuity describes the way many of us live. For rare is the person who looks back on his life with gratitude and makes it a goal of his life to fulfill the dreams of his fathers before him. And so what happens from where Jesus stands is this, that a man begins to look back with gratitude to what others have done before him and forward to pass it on with responsibility. There's a second thing that happens on mountaintops and in mountaintops experiences that gives perspective, and it's this. That to seek God really means to be obedient to His revelation. Verses 4 and 5 are packed with humor. As a matter of fact, if you'll read Luke's account of this transfiguration, it says that, it puts it like this, it says, And Peter, not knowing what to say, said... Now, now, it never just because Peter didn't know what to say didn't keep him from saying something. I mean, he, just, he was one of those guys that just said something, you know. He felt like he had to. Somebody said he was the guy who coined the phrase, don't just stand there, say something. And, and he often had to open his mouth just to change feet. I mean, he just was always getting his foot in his mouth. And so Simon Peter, not knowing what to say, began to talk. And our account says that while he was still talking, God spoke. And God said, this is a terrible paraphrase, He said, Simon Peter, would you just shut up for a minute? I mean, can't you just hear that? Would you just get quiet for a little bit and shut your mouth long enough for my son to speak? I mean, my son wants to say something, so you just get quiet now and listen to him. And that word in the Greek, listen, there is a pregnant word. It means to listen for, for the purpose of obeying. It means to hear with the intention of responding. It's not like a person kicked back in his easy chair with his headset on listening to the stereo. It's like an athlete who is bending over in a huddle to get the play from the coach. Hear him, he said. When I look out over this congregation, I see people who are in quest of something, searching for something. As a matter of fact, that characterizes our time. People in quest, people searching. And I've had people say to me, I want to know God. I want to know Him better. I want to be a better Christian. I want to grow in my Christian life. I'm seeking to know how to live for God in quest, searching. Now that word seek has a deeper meaning than what appears on the surface. The customary use of the word seek for us is to search out. Picture yourself in a, in a large building. Somebody turns off the lights and you're groping along the sides of the wall trying to find the switch or the exit door. That's to seek. That's to search. 
But the biblical usage of the word seek is much deeper than that. When the Scripture says that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him, it doesn't mean that God is hidden and we have to find Him. For God is not a God who hides. He's a self-revealing, self-disclosing God who exposes Himself through His Son. What that word means really in the biblical usage is this, that I am obedient to His command and I respond to His revelation. Now what happens on a mountaintop like this? What happens in a lay renewal experience is that God discloses Himself to the man who is willing to obey Him, who, is, who responds to Him in obedience. Now when God said, Simon said, Peter, shut up and listen, doesn't that prick your curiosity? What is God about to say? Well, God said two things. He said, don't be afraid. And He said a simple statement about the cross. Because knowing God begins right there. The cross is the point where God, where we understand that Jesus died for us and it is the point where you and I die to the world. And knowing God and obeying God begins at that point. It's the point where we come to encounter a God in love and we die to the world to obey Him. So from perspective we understand that seeking God means obeying His revelation, that which He's disclosed about Himself and about us. There is a third thing that happens from mountaintops, from perspective, and it's this, that we understand that the supreme goal of life is to please the Father. And God said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. There are several goals in life. To some people, the goal of life is to be successful. doesn't matter how much I have to sacrifice of my conscience. doesn't matter how many people I have to step on to get where I'm going. Success is the goal of my life. To some, pleasure is the goal of life, and so they flit from one pleasure to the other, like a bee sampling the nectar from flower after flower. It becomes addictive so that they have to increase the size and the frequency of their pleasures to get the fix. But from where Jesus stands, the supreme goal of life is to please the Father. It means that I live my life in the conscious awareness that God is the great appraiser. It means I know that I live my life and every moment of it unto Him. I line my life up with eternity's purpose for me. It means that I muster all of my capacities and my interests to the achieving of that goal. And there will be other interests, and there will be other duties that press upon me, and they'll have their place, but they're not the supreme purpose of my life, and so I let it not divert me from the main goal. And because I understand that, I, that God is the great appraiser and my purpose in life is to please Him, my life has intensity and it has density has substance. George Bernard Shaw says that most people die when they're 35 and they're buried when they're 70. And there is no density to life. I'm involved in a purpose that 
that extends on out into eternity. And I understand that all that matters in life is to please Him. Perspective. It's what Thomas Merton calls the breakthrough to the already. It doesn't mean that I have acquired anything new. It just means that I've discovered what has always been, that God's goal and purpose for my life is to please the Father. And that's all that really matters. It's all that really counts. G.K. Chesterton has a little biography of Francis of Assisi, that great 12th century monk that affected Christian religion for all time. And, and, and Chesterton traces the beginning, traces that remarkable ministry that, Assisi, that Francis of Assisi had to what he calls a, a, a life-changing um, moment within the, in, in the, in, within the depths of his being. This is how he describes it. He said that, that, that Francis was uh, the son of a, of a wealthy merchant in, in, in Venus, and he, he wanted to be a poet and a warrior. He was very mischievous. He was a young man, just kind of a reveler. And, and he went off one time to a military campaign and, and got sick. And he had to come limping home in disgrace. He was disgraced in his little village. His adolescent dreams crushed. And he was deeply depressed. So, so he went off to a cave outside the little village where he grew up. And it was in that cave where he thought he would die that he had this moment of life-changing encounter. And, and Chesterton said that he came out of that cave walking on his hands. Now what he meant was, and he, he described he said, when a person is standing on his feet, the trees and the castles look like they're sitting solidly on their own as if they existed on out of their own being. We said, when you're standing on your head, everything looks like that it's hanging as a chandelier hangs by a chain. And he said, what happened in that cave was that Francis discovered that everything in life hangs on God. I love it. I saw some of you come out of those meetings. It was, it was remarkable to me, having been your pastor for eight years. I saw some of you coming out of those meetings, walking on your hands. That is, I saw some of you make a discovery this past week that everything hangs from God, hangs on God. Everything moves and has its being in Him. And that to trust Him and to live on Him and from Him is to live life at its highest level. My favorite song that Charles Wesley wrote is the song, Jesus, Lover of My Soul. You know how the first stanza of that goes? Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly. While the nearer waters roll, while the tempest still is nigh, hide me, O thou Savior, hide until the storm of life is past. And some people, there's a story that he wrote that song one day after being out on the street in a storm. A storm came up, a violent storm, and a little bird flew inside of his cloak and found refuge there. Uh, Let me to thy bosom fly. I like the second stanza. The second stanza goes like this. Other refuge 
have I none. Hangs my helpless soul on thee. Leave, oh, leave me not alone. Still support and comfort me. When he came out of that cave, when they came down from that mountain, when they came out of those small rooms in Fellowship Hall, they came out walking on their hands, understanding that everything hangs on God like a chandelier hangs by a chain. There is one final thought concerning perspective is this that the ministry of the mountaintop is for the misery of the valley below. In fact, this text says, and when they came to the multitude, and and anybody who knows anything about English at all, or grammar at all, knows that when you find a word and in in the middle of some passage, it connects what is following directly to what precedes it. You talk about ongoingness and connectedness. What happened on that mountaintop was for the purpose of what was about to happen in the valley. Now what some of us would like to do is to just, you know, have mountaintop experiences and live there forever. Like Simon Peter, he said, if it's all right with you, I'll just build me a, we'll build a tabernacle and we'll just stay here. It's not the purpose. The mountaintop experiences are not for our pleasure and our consumption. We're never meant to stay on the mountaintops. The mountaintop experiences are for the purpose of equipping us and empowering us for the misery of the valley below and the people who hurt there and suffer there. And I tell you that if you have had an encounter with God in renewal, that encounter and that renewal was for the purpose of the suffering that goes on around you, not for your own consumption and pleasure. So that the big question, what's this? The big question is not what happened to you this past weekend. The big question is what has happened to you since this past weekend. And the big question is not what did you encounter? What experience did you have in a, in, a, in, a, in a renewal service or renewal weekend? The big question is, how are you different now? And what have you done about it? And so the demoniac was healed and in his right mind. And for the first time in years, he was clothed and sane For Jesus had come to his home, to his coast, and had cast out this legion of demons. And he wanted to go with Jesus wherever he went. And Jesus said, no, you need to go back to your home and tell the folks there what happened to you. And Jesus encountered a woman who was taken in an act of adultery. And after after that initial encounter, he looked at her and said, does anybody condemn you? And she said, nobody. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And a woman came in to where Jesus was at a little party Simon was throwing. 
and all the people that were, you know, all the folks that had any status were, were there. And she came in, broke an alabaster box of ointment, put it on his head, washed his feet with the tears that flowed from her eyes, and dried his feet with her hair. And wouldn't it have been wonderful? Well, for the first time she found somebody who would loved her and accepted her. She would stay with him forever. But Jesus said, no, it's time now for you to go. So when we come to encounters with Jesus Christ, the purpose of those encounters is to go to the misery that exists around us. That's the only reason. That's the purpose of it. Let me share this with you and then I'll quit. There was a guy, my, my son says that when he says that, he, he's just getting warmed up. He tell a guy, they say, you know, Dad, when Dad says, now I've got one more thing to say and I'm through. He said, well, just settle down because it's a long time yet. No, but really, let me, let, me, let me tell you this. In my Sunday school class last Sunday, there was a guy who got up to give his, to share with us. His name was Paul Pennington, one of these people that, had come, you know, from Dallas. He was a yuppie. He is a yuppie. A very successful tax attorney in Dallas. His parents are extremely wealthy, so he's, he, he grew up in wealth. He'd never been on a farm. He went out to Yule Hicks. He'd never seen a, he'd never seen a bull before. <laughs> he'd never seen a, a farm, believe it or not. And he got up to give his testimony, and he was, he, he, he was talking about how he said, this is agony for me. He was shy, never looked up, kept his head down. He had a pen, kept it in his hand. It went one of those deals that you, you know, click it in and out. He just clicking that pen in and out. He's looking down. He began to tell about something that happened to him about three years ago. He said in the, in the corporate world where he lives, the, the, the buzzwords of status and money, money and status. He said, I got a call from this guy who had both money and status. He wanted him to take me out to lunch. He said, I thought the guy was going to offer me a job, big job, big promotion. He said, man, I couldn't wait. Got there, and he said, we sat down to eat. And he said, we were eating. The guy was kind of nervous himself, kind of him hawing around, he said. He said, I was thinking to myself, get on, man. Offer me a job. I'll take it. He said, finally, the guy looked at me and said, Paul, if you were to die tonight, where would you go? And he said, I thought, man, I came here to get a job. You know, he kind of shrugged his shoulders out. But when that man asked him that question, he said, it started my heart to thinking. If I'm a Christian, why does somebody have to ask me that question? And the long and short of it, he said he had this renewal with the Lord, this encounter with the living God changed his life. Now, how it changed him was this. It gave him a new compassion for the, for the people, the misery in the valley. And he spent about 15 minutes telling us about his work with the street people in Dallas, how he loves them. And when he'd talk about them, he wept. He wept. And he told this story. Get this picture. He said that there is a man standing on a street there in the busy corridor that corridor over there in Louisville, between Louisville and DFW, and those busy, busy section of, of uh, Dallas County there. He said there's a man standing beside the road. He has a sign. He's holding up this sign that, that reads, I'll work for food. 
And he said, there's two cars. One's going this way and one's going this way. He said, and this car going this way is the, the lady who cuts my hair. And her husband said, she's not a Christian, he's not a Christian. And they cut my hair. She cuts my hair. And when they passed this guy standing on the side of the road with his sign, I'll work for food, she said, we need to stop and help him. Now this is the non-Christian now. And her husband said, hey, we don't have time. We've we got to go. And, and, and they went about a half a mile and he looked at him and he said, do we need to stop? If you need to stop, let's stop. So she said, yeah, we do. So they turned around and went back and he got out of the car and walked up to him. He said, we, they were reaching in their pockets said, we want to help you. He said, I don't want any help. He said, I, 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 I want to work. He said, I've lost my job. I've got kids and they're hungry. He said, I just, I don't, he said I'll rake leaves. He said, I'll do anything. I want to earn my money. The guy said, well, they said, we don't have any you know, work for you, but here, take some money. And they gave him some, some money. That were the, that, those were the non-Christians. Now he said, this other car going this way was a carload of folks from my church, he said. My wife's in the back seat. And he said, when they passed this guy out there with his sign, I'll work for food, this church guy said, whoa, look at that, what a scam. That guy's out, you know, ripping people off. He said, you can't, you know, th these guys are everywhere. Just a scam, trying to get in people's pockets. Well, he said, probably find out where you live and come rip you off. Isn't that something, seeing all this stuff going on? And this guy, just, with his head down, he's kind of shrugged his shoulders like this. He said, am I missing something? He said, is there something missing there? Isn't it? Isn't it, oughtn't it to be that, that the people who have had an encounter with God are the people who are the most compassionate to the miserable? Am I missing something? I'm telling you what, it cut me to the heart. And I got up, I told the guy, I said, you came to this place, to my Sunday school class, as a providential act of God because what you're talking about is what I need to hear the most. Because most of us just live for mountaintop experiences and we just long to know the Lord and walk with the Lord. Let me tell you, what the Lord does, He comes straight down the mountain to the valley where the people need you. From the mountaintop, a man discovers who God is and what God's about, who we are and who we're about from a brand new angle. What have you discovered? Let's pray together. Father, I pray that today you'll give us, you'll grip us with awareness of the connectedness between what has been and what is now. With a deep sense of gratitude to what has been handed to us. And help us, Father, in our quest to know the Lord, to understand that knowing Him begins at the point of death, at the point of obedience. And let us see, Father, that there is no goal in life that is superior to the goal of pleasing You. And when we've got all that straight, 
I pray you'll lead us to the valley with compassion to care for those who hurt, who suffer. I make this prayer in the name of Jesus and ask it for His sake. Now, I know there's some this morning here, if you look here, who have never for the first time encountered Jesus Christ in saving faith. I want you to have an opportunity this morning to accept Jesus Christ as your, public sa- your, your personal Savior publicly. I want you to come today to place your faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. It begins at, his, at the revelation of God at the cross. There are some of us who need to join the church because we need to be a part of this ongoingness that exists. We were just sharing this morning how many people have died, passed on. Precious, precious saints of God just handed us the torch, the baton. Some of you may want to come and join us to be a part of that. And there may be some this morning who just need to come to renew their vow, their commitment to God, to understand that it's just, it's not an acquisition of something brand new. It's just a, a recognition of what already is, what your responsibility to God has always been, to renew your commitment to Him. The choir will sing our invitation. We ask you to to come on the first stanza while we stand and sing. You come. Stand with me.